Welcome to University Showcase. I'm Megan Kamrick. With me today is Nicole Gonzalez. She is a nurse midwife from the Navajo Nation who grew up in the Four Corners area. She's an indigenous feminist, a published author, an inspirational speaker, a marathon runner, freelance consultant, and healer. And she trained to become a nurse midwife at the University of New Mexico. She was recently recognized for her work by the UNM Native American Alumni Chapter and was presented with its inaugural award. Nicole has dedicated her life to addressing Native American maternal health disparities around access to care and also in reclaiming indigenous birthing practices and supporting the return of indigenous midwives to communities. Nicole is the founder and midwifery director at the Changing Woman Initiative. It's a Native American-led women's health collective dedicated to renewing cultural birth knowledge. It seeks to empower and reclaim sovereignty of indigenous women's medicine while creating the country's first Native American birthing center. Also, she was named one of 50 badass women in InStyle magazine. (laughs) Nicole, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, it's very nice to be here. Tell me how you started on a career as a nurse midwife. What, What started you on this path? Uh, well, my interest in birth started when I was very young. I remember attending my sister's labor at the Indian Hospital in uh, Shiprock and just seeing all kinds of things happening while she was in bed and being really curious about, like, what's happening? I want to stay, but I can't. And then I wanted to actually go to school to be a doctor and to be a labor or an obstetrical doctor. But I met my my then ex-husband, and we had kids, and so it was like, well, I'm still very interested in birth, and so I decided to become a labor and delivery nurse. But I did my training here at UNM, and then I got my first job at a labor and delivery in Los Alamos. And like a lot of Native people who get scholarship funding through Indian Health Services, I had to do a loan repayment with them. And I just saw a lot of like inappropriate behavior and treatment from towards Native women in that facility. And it really bothered me because nobody really seemed to care. And there wasn't a lot of work I could do to support Native women as a nurse. And so I felt like I had more power in being in the places where decisions were being made behind the closed doors if I were to become a nurse midwife. What kinds of things were you seeing that you wanted to change? The perception that Native women didn't experience pain the way other women did. They spoke very highly about Native women saying we're very stoic, we don't need a lot of pain medication and labor. You know, they're very proud that we have a high number of births that are unmedicated or not needing medication. But when I went home and I talked to my community of women about their birth experiences, they said, well, I asked for an epidural and for pain medicine, but the midwife told me to walk or the midwife told me to do this. And so it's very interesting how they were kind of deterred from getting pain medication in their labor experience, um, which really kind of sat with me not in a good way because I'm like, so you asked for something and they didn't give it to you, then explain why, and then you had your baby. And so you just kind of had this unintended natural birth when you were asking for pain medicine and they didn't give it to you. There was also these like two conversations I heard that were happening. You know, I heard doctors um, saying they really enjoyed working with Native women because you just tell them what to do and they listen. And so that really, that really, like, I was really bothered because I'm like, well, that's not true. Like, we do ask a lot of questions or maybe 
it's it's a really interesting place if anybody's been to the doctor's office, like you're rushed in, you're rushed out, you get 15 minutes. If you don't know exactly the kind of questions you're going to ask, you don't get the opportunity to ask questions about your health or the process of care, like you just are rushed in and out. Like there's just not a lot of opportunity to build relationship. What was the need that you saw in your community? Well, again, going back to my experience at Santa Fe and Hospital, there was a community member who had a C-section, repeat C-section, because her baby had died at the same facility the year before. And I had asked her why she felt like she needed to go back to the place that her baby had died. And she said, well, there's nowhere else I could go. And so... When I chose to become a nurse midwife and I entered my program here at UNM, there was like only one other Native woman who had gone through the program before me. And then when I did research, there was like only 15 nurse midwives throughout the country that were Native American. So for the history of Indian Health Services providing birth services in our community, there's a rich uh, history of nurse midwives providing this care, but there's very few of us that are Native American. Hmm. Was it challenging to focus on this path? I mean, what were the attitudes towards midwifery when you started, and how has it changed, or has it changed? (laughs) It has changed because of the way midwifery is presented. When I told my family I was becoming a nurse midwife, they were like, why do you want to become a hippie midwife? (laughs) It's just like a lot of like stereotypes that I had to come up against in my career from my own community, even though midwifery has been practiced in my traditional communities for a long time. It's just over the years that history has kind of been swept under the rug. And now like more than 90% of Native women birth in hospital, and they don't realize that midwifery is like this rich history we've always had. What is it the difference between Um, nursing and being a nurse midwife that allowed you to start maybe addressing some of this? Well, New Mexico is really awesome when it comes to nurse midwifery because of the Porteta midwives back in the day who've done traditional midwifery in our communities for a long time. When uh, Department of Health came into our state and started to like I guess, make recommendations on how to keep birth healthy and normal. They trained them on aseptic technique and told them, continue to do what you're doing. Whereas in other states, the obstetrical model, which doctors and all of that really took over birth and medicalized birth. And so they really villainized and um, midwifery is this uneducated process that, you know, we don't know what we're doing. And so that's where New Mexico is really different because we do really honor traditional birthing practices, traditional birth. And New Mexico actually has licensed midwives, which can train under an apprenticeship model with another licensed midwife in New Mexico and be licensed. And then there's the certified professional midwife pathway, which is more of a national certification, and they can do an online program or they can do, again, apprenticeship model. Um, And then the nursing pathway that I chose is a master's degree trained program, and so I have to have a bachelor's in nursing and then a two-year degree and master's midwifery, which gives me more autonomy so I can prescribe medication, I can do well-woman care, um, I can do first assisting in the hospital, and I also have the ability to practice independently. I also have hospital privileges if I choose to, and so there's just a lot more I can do with my training than maybe other midwives could do, and that's why I chose it. What is the difference between um, 
the sort of obstetric model and the midwife model. How I explain this to my clients is obstetrical model is like your disease management process thinking. And so basically, yes, there's all of these diagnostic tests and ultrasounds to prove normal healthy pregnancy is normal healthy pregnancy. Um, And so they come from that lens of like this is maybe a disease process we have to manage and we need these tests to prove that you're healthy and normal. Midwifery model is more of like, we already believe these are normal healthy processes that all women go through if they choose to. Uh, We believe you're healthy to begin with. And yes, we have and pull in labs and ultrasounds to support your pregnancy and make sure that things maintain and stay healthy. Um, But we don't believe that we're managing a disease. Like this is just a normal process all women go through. That's such an interesting difference in perspective. It's pretty huge, actually. It is. It's like doctors on one side and midwives are on this side. And so I love when I can explain this to the families that I work with. It's like, well, where are you on the spectrum? Like, what do you expect out of your care? They must not get asked that a lot. They don't. I think there can be a lot of assumptions when you go into care with your doctor or your midwife around what kind of education you're going to get. And I feel like doctors and midwives are very much in a position of power because we also have all this training and knowledge. We are a filter in a lot of ways for the information that comes through. And if we have these internal biases that limit what we share and how we share information, it does impact the communities that we're serving. If you just joined us here on KUNM, I'm Megan Kamrick, and this is University Showcase. I'm speaking with Nicole Gonzalez. She's an alumna of the UNM College of Nursing and a Diné nurse midwife. She recently received an inaugural award from the UNM Native American Alumni Chapter for her work founding the Changing Woman Initiative. It's a Native American-led women's health collective that focuses on renewing cultural birth knowledge to empower and reclaim sovereignty of indigenous women's medicine. Talk about why it's so important in these communities to have an indigenous midwife. Well, as we know, like obstetrics and birth has been very westernized. It's been medicalized. It's also based off a system of research and data. Our traditional systems are based off of stories and obviously observation. Um, And so having somebody from your community who looks like you understands your community's dynamics and systems that are already in place before you got there really contributes to building trust with the people you're working with, but also if there are things you're recommending around their health and you know like there's things in their community that might prevent them from you know, following through with it. It's like you have this baseline understanding without making them feel guilty that maybe they can't do these things. For example, obesity is a big issue in our Native communities. Um, Diabetes is an issue for Native communities. But if you go to anywhere in the Navajo Nation, like we don't have clean water. Um, If you go in a grocery store, there's like two aisles of chips and soda. You go to any fast food restaurant, they give you two or three size portions of food. There's not really a lot of farmers farming. There's issues with water access. And so all of these contribute to someone's ability to like access healthy food. Um, But if you also grew up in a home where it was like meat and potatoes and spam, like I grew up in Shasta, like you already have all these um, 
teachings around food that are not healthy, but that's what you grew up with. So somebody like me who comes into this community and, and are serving my own community, I already understand that these are the things that are in place. The other thing, too, is we also, for myself personally, as a Native woman, I grew up in a home with alcoholism, drug addiction. I've got family members who have these things, um, sexual abuse, that's part of my own history, um, suicide attempts and suicide is in my community. And so when I sit across from a woman who's experiencing these things in themselves or in their families, um, again, I don't shame or blame, but I do understand the dynamics that contribute to why she might have to deal with these things um, instead of like, you know, bringing a Western view of blaming her, shaming her as to why these things are happening. Um, I think it matters when you have a provider from your community who understand those things and can sit with women in a really positive way to like overcome them. You also started the Changing Woman Initiative. Talk about what the organization's mission is. Basically, like returning to indigenous practices and belief systems for Native women um, because of colonization. And what I mean by colonization is like boarding school era, even white feminism, Christianity coming into our communities. Um, a lot of us are separated from our traditional knowledge because our parents went to boarding school. My parents went to boarding school. And so it's really about getting women in touch with that knowledge again um, because they want to know these things. They want to know that their body and their life and this baby has a larger purpose than just coming into the doctor and doing like blood pressure and vitals, right, and diet. Because we do have a full like traditional stories of where we came from and we do have stories around the cosmos and the land and the water and where we are in that relationship. And so once women are aware of their relationship to these things, it's like they realize like, oh, this isn't just you know, I'm a biological process of me bringing a baby and it's like, I'm really like growing my nation. I'm bringing a baby into my community. There's a bigger purpose for me and this baby. And so I should take care of myself. Wow. Um, and it's a collective of other providers? So we have five board members that are Indigenous women, and that's pretty intentional. Um, we do have a nurse midwife that works the, with the collective, and then I have two other midwives that work with us. We train students. We have two Indigenous students right now training to be midwives. We have specifically three program areas that we focus on. So our direct care is our midwifery, home birth services, and then our women's health, which is uh, Easy Access Clinic, which is usually today on Wednesdays, and then our health policy arm, which focuses on maternal health policy from for Native Indigenous people, and and then our community outreach around um, training and supporting doulas, lactation peer counselors, birth assistants, um, just because a lot of New Mexico is considered um, healthcare deserts, and so there's and also with obstetrical services closing, which is happening right now, um, we really need to be training our community to be experts in their own health. And nothing, nobody's better to do that than somebody who lives in their community and is invested. And so if we just give them skills and some training and support, like they become that expert in the community that we can work with. The in collective has created, I think you mentioned it, an Indigenous Midwifery Student Fellowship Program. We piloted the Indigenous Fellowship a couple of years ago with the intention of paying for a stipend for their living expenses. A lot of non-traditional midwives, meaning midwives who don't go to a master's degree program like I do, um, don't have the financial means to go to school. 
a lot of them burn out or they stop their training because they have to go back to work. It's not a typical job. So like if you're a midwifery student um, and you're not in a university program, you are on call for births for months and you can't hold a job because you have to be available. This work means you also have to have a very supportive family structure. So if you're away doing births, somebody has to be home to take care of your kids, take them to school and do all those things. And so I think that's another challenge that BIPOC people uh, face when trying to become a midwife is that because of historical things that have happened in our communities, we have fragmented family support. A lot of them are single homes. A lot of people have to figure out how to like pay the bills and go to school. And so it makes it even harder for them to become a midwife because like I had a birth last week. I was there all day Thursday, uh, Tuesday, baby delivered right before midnight. I got home at three in the morning. I started to go and see clients the next day. Like I'm just now catching up on my sleep. But imagine if you're catching five or six babies at home a month, which some home birth midwives are. Like it's really hard to have a family if you're tired and you're responsible for people's care. You're training indigenous birth workers around the states, so that could be people in the community who would have to go hours to reach obstetric care. A couple years ago, we did do a training with um, a friend of mine who's from Canada. She's a doula. Um, not doula. She's a midwife, and um, she's on a Shinabi in Navajo. So she's got family from Canada, and she grew up in Shinli. And she founded her own business called Zaka Dewin Doula, Indigenous Doula Training Program. And so she came to Windorock, and we trained 40 mid, uh, doulas. Mm-hmm. Um, and we shared knowledge for about a week. And basically, like, doula support, some education about um, trauma, of course, some of the past things. Um, so the 40 doulas that we trained, there's a couple of them we still work with. And so they started their own collective in Gallup. And so they attend births with us as doulas. And then we did do another birth assistant training in Santa Fe for five, I think we did like five or six indigenous women. The challenge with some of this training is, again, people are not aware that the time commitment like being on call is brutal. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and it's, I mean, if you're in a hospital, and I, when I was a hospital midwife, it's like two clinic days and then one 24-hour call, and that's all I had to do. But you're in the community. You're on call like 10 days out of the week or the month. Um, if you're a doula and you have a client that's due maybe in March, at 36 weeks you go on call for them and then you can't travel or do anything. And so people are not prepared for that on-call schedule. Um, and so being really intentional about inviting the right people to do training, knowing that you're going to be put on a call schedule, and this is what it looks like. This is University Showcase on KUNM, and I'm Megan Kamrick. I'm speaking with UNM alumna Nicole Gonzalez. She is a Diné nurse midwife, and she recently received an inaugural award from the UNM Native American Alumni Chapter for her work founding the Changing Woman Initiative. It's a Native American-led women's health collective, and it focuses on renewing cultural birth knowledge to empower and reclaim sovereignty of indigenous women's medicine. I know one of the goals was to um, create the first Native American birthing center. Are you still working? Yeah, we're still working on Mm -hmm. that. When I started the nonprofit, I had set a goal of like five years, this birth center is going to be out there and going. 
it's obviously not here yet. So when Standing Rock happened, we went out to Standing Rock and set up a field clinic in the camps. And so that really shifted our focus and our resources. At the time, it was me and my sister, I think, who were primarily staffing CWY and then our board of directors. And so I chose to go to Standing Rock. So all of our focus went there and fundraising efforts went there. Why did you feel like that was part of your mission? Part of it was seeing people in the community out there get harmed with being bitten by dogs and also seeing all of the tribes come together for this effort to keep the water clean and keep the pipeline out was inspiring because that's never happened before. I mean, a lot of our tribes don't always get along. um, And so it was a big sign of like unification. Um, The other thing is learning more about the camps. There was three different ones in one area was half of those people there were women and children. And I was like, so who's taking care of the women? Because women have UTIs, women have sex, women, (laughs) like there's all these other things. Well, I'm guessing the pandemic also didn't help your plans for opening the birthing center. (laughs) No, the pandemic definitely shifted again our, our focus. And so because some of these other things came in and derailed us a little bit. Some of the infrastructure that we've been trying to build is finally at a place where it's like solid. And so we're able to add staff and we're able to really like expand our services and our reach in a way we haven't in the past. But in that time that's passed, like the, the world around maternal health has really shifted. I'm questioning like, is a birth center going to do all the things I want it to do, right? Because in New Mexico, some of the common reasons women don't access care in the first trimester is because they don't have transportation. Um, Even maternal mortality reports coming out now that um, 30 minutes or longer increases your chance of dying during pregnancy or around pregnancy because of car accidents. And then, of course, the mental health, you know, depression, anxiety contribute to suicide and those sort of things. So... It's shifted in a way of like, okay, so now how do we problem solve and solve these issues in our community without just focusing on a birth center, but like what other things can we do in addition to a birth center? The goal is still the birth center, likely Gallup. It's a $7 million project. We haven't even gone through the acquiring of land piece yet. Um, and so it's a whole different thing. Our budget's about a million dollars, but it's just enough money for us to continue doing what we're doing without expanding to these other areas. But we are in a process of planning for the future, so expanding our services and having a more permanent presence in Farmington and then Gallup, and then working with midwives to staff those locations on a more regular basis, and then looking into buying some land in Gallup to build a hogan and a space so that women can birth there. Because they just, there's a hospital, Rehoboth just closed their labor and delivery. So the um, Gallup Indian Medical Center is seeing more women. Fort Defiance is seeing more women. It's a two-hour drive for us to go to Gallup. If I have a birth out there, I'm usually there for a couple of days because we do a 24-hour postpartum visit. And so it does take a lot of time and resources to go further out, which a lot of home birth midwives don't leave the city. They tend to not go more than an hour distance to provide care. We go three hours sometimes. You have a policy arm as well. Yeah. So I guess I wanted, I was curious, what kinds of systemic change do you want to help bring about in our healthcare system about around indigenous knowledge and access to maternal health? There's literally a whole cultural shift that needs to happen. So Indian Health Services is still primarily responsible for our health care 
We know they're underfunded. They've been underfunded. That's not a new thing. The other challenge that I see around policy advocacy for maternal health for Native people is because we live in so many different areas, it's like which body of governing do I have to go to for this change to happen? Is it a federal policy? Is it a state policy? Is it a tribal policy? Is it a global policy? Um, and so that's one thing that is a challenge for all of us. Right now, tribes are not focusing on maternal health as an issue of priority. I was just in Switzerland, Geneva, at the United Nations convening around eliminating racism in, in the U.S., and so I brought to their attention about our issues around maternal health for Native people. I went with a collective of black women as well, and so it was a there was like 15, 13 of us total uh, groups and organizations, and we report um, wrote a shadow report in partnership with others about some of our issues. And so the other challenge that I face around maternal mortality and just policy work in general is there are over 500 federally recognized tribes in the United States. Every, every tribe is a sovereign nation. And so how, and again, in what place of federal, state, government, or any of these policy changes that I'm pushing for are going to make an impact unless the tribes are at the table with me and making it a priority that maternal health is an issue they want to focus on. Mm. They have funding focused on diabetes and child and elderly care, but there's not anything around maternal health. I mean, we even saw that with COVID. As tribes were making these emergency plans on how to take care of their community, they left out pregnant women. And so there's a lot of education that needs to happen with them around um, making maternal health a priority for them. And I think there's also an assumption that IHS will take care of everything, mm -hmm. um, but they don't take care of everything. And so my hope in my policy work um, is to provide education to tribes around maternal health, the issues that contribute to these outcomes that we're seeing, um, not just the death, but like, you know, large for size babies and obesity, um, you know, not gaining prenatal care in the first trimester or getting like four prenatal visits prior to delivery, which is unacceptable. And also like on the system side, what those of us in the community are facing trying to access care because these hospitals are not providing services anymore. That puts more stress on other hospitals. So then the wait time to get in for providers longer. So they could wait six weeks to get in for a first prenatal appointment and say the woman who needs care has like, she's on medication for hypertension that could be harmful and she needs to be switched to something better and safer. And maybe she doesn't do that. And it wait, and she waits till 20 weeks to do that. And so there could be some harm done when she, she could have been seen first thing to change a medication. Or maybe she's got depression, anxiety, and she's very much depressed when we could have addressed it in the first trimester, but now we're 20 weeks in and she's further away and like maybe she's experiencing a suicidal attempt or emotion. So now you have to deal with it. And it's like, where do I send her? for inpatient care for suicide attempt or suicide ideation who wants to take a pregnant mom um, at that point. And so there's lots of reasons why we have these outcomes that there are. And it's not 
always our fault. And I think that's what I get frustrated the most with when I read research about our communities. There's a lot of blame placed on Native women that we are choosing not to access care, that we're choosing to have unhealthy lifestyles, that we're choosing mm. not to get care in our pregnancy because we don't really care. And it's like, that's not true. You have a lot on your plate, <laughs> Nicole. <laughs> How do you take care of yourself and remain in a good space? You have a lot of hard work to do. <laughs> Oh, take care of myself well. Um, A lot of my practices around self-care are about rest, like getting enough sleep, not working after five, not working on the weekends, also trying to eat better. I was, I did run uh, the New York City Marathon a couple of years ago. I fractured my foot during the race. (laughs) I didn't know. I just was like, everyone said it was going to hurt, so I figured it was part of that process. It wasn't until I got home that I was like, oh, my foot's fractured. I've kind of stopped running because I'm in my 40s, perimenopause is setting in. And so now it's all about hormone balance and eating well and getting enough rest and weightlifting and stretching Mm -hmm. and just like being in nature and having fun. Like you're right. I have worked a lot of years and I think the stage of my life now is about having fun. I also was recently divorced and I'm engaged and getting married again. Congrats. But yeah, so it's it's been a lot about reclaiming my joy um, as a Native person, as a Native woman, um, as a mom. I have three kids. I think we all can really get used to this narrative that our pain and suffering is what connects us to each other, but like our joy connects us to each other. Our joy connects us to our youth that we may be lost because of trauma. And so I think that's very healing. Well, Nicole Gonzalez, thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, like, I could talk about this all day long. (laughs) That was UNM alumna Nicole Gonzalez, founder of the Changing Woman Initiative and a Diné nurse midwife. She received an award recently from the UNM Native American Alumni Chapter for her work with the Women's Collective, which focuses on renewing cultural knowledge to empower and reclaim sovereignty of Indigenous women's medicine. You can find this and all our interviews at KUNM.org, thanks to Associate Professor David Bashwinner for our theme music. I'm Megan Kamrick. Thanks for listening to University Showcase. Mm